日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へヘイヘイヘイ Welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast This is Chris as always And today we have a guest podcaster by the name of Scott Patrick. And I'll probably be doing more of these going forward, get other people on here to get you guys different views and different topics on Japanese history, with the added bonus that it takes some of the work out of my hands. So in this episode, Scott Patrick will be talking about the facts and fictions of Wesuki Kenshin. Scott's been doing a Sengoku history series on YouTube since late 2015, and at this point has close to 20 videos in the series. And I'll link to it in the podcast notes on the podcast website. But you should be able to find him pretty easily with the search for Scott Patrick Sengoku series on YouTube. So, like I said, this is a guest episode, and I sent out some feelers to a few people to see if they might be interested in putting together a podcast episode. And back in 2015 on the Samurai Archives forum, Scott put together some research on the facts and fiction of Weisuke Kenshin, mostly based on a dissertation by Dennis Darling and some other sources. So, for our new guest host series, he wanted to put together a podcast based off it. And he did. So, here's Scott covering Sengoku Daimyo Uesugi Kenshin. Hello,、uh, this is Scott Patrick, and today I'll be reading a post that I did on the Samurai Archives forums back in October of 2015. So, and、uh, it was based on、uh, the dissertation by Dennis Darling、um, that he did on the life of Uesugi Kenshin. Um, but ever since the Samurai Archives did its、uh, Everybody Loves Shingen episode, I had been interested in learning more about、uh, Sengoku Daimyo,、uh, who have legendary status, to see how much is fact versus fiction. Some of you have probably heard of the Lammers book on Oda Nobunaga, Mary Berry's book on Hideyoshi, and there's the Sadler book on Tokugawa Ieyasu.、Uh, but Shingen and Kenshin don't seem to have that much historical stuff on them, at least in English. Which is a bit problematic because whereas Oda Nobunaga, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, and Tokugawa Ieyasu have all been portrayed as heroes and villains in popular culture, Shingen and Kenshin tend to be portrayed as paragons of virtue, the embodiment of samurai honor and military brilliance, and their own rivalry as one of mutual respect.、Um, you've probably heard of Heavens, Heaven and Earth, the, the famous、uh, movie about the、uh, Fourth Battle of Kawakajima. So, I thought the podcast about Shingen did a good job of illustrating that the battles of、uh, Kawanakajima were more skirmishes than epic battles. And、uh, if anything,、uh, Shingen did not so much hold his own as be defeated and rendered unable to muster his troops for major campaigns、uh, after the Fourth Battle of、uh, Kawanakajima in 1561. But what about Kenshin himself? Was he all that he was made out to be? Um, the Samurai Archives wiki compares him to Robert E. Lee in that his reputation is a bit inflated compared to his own actual achievements, but how true is that statement? So, based on my research into Darling's dissertation,、uh, which is, a, I think, a, a respectable, peer reviewed source、um, and not just taking primary documents at face value. Um, here are some of the things that I wanted to challenge about、uh, Kenshin's life or how he's at least perceived in popular culture.、Uh, the first being that Kenshin was a、uh, religious life.、Uh, 
because he was such a, a clearly gifted warrior. And the story goes that in 1536, uh, Nagao Kajatora, the future Kenshin, was sent to the temple of uh, Rinsenji in order that he might be trained to become a monk. The popular story goes that the young Kajatora was an obvi obvious prodigy when it came to fighting and martial valor, and that the head of the temple sent him back into the secular world. Uh, Darling cites Kuwada Tadachika as arguing that the reason was more practical. Uh, Kajatora's father was getting older and was in ill health, and his eldest son, uh, Nagao Harukage, was sickly. Uh, and additionally, the Nagao were dealing with revolts by subordinate samurai clans in Ichigo and needed all hands on deck. Uh, moreover, having another major regional clan adopt Kajitora would cement relations in an unstable political environment. So it may have been uh, political military reasons that kept Kenshin out of the priesthood, uh, regardless of his martial prowess. Now that said, the notion that he was more popular than his brother, uh, and that led in turn to him supplanting uh, Harukage as the head of the Nagao seems to be true. To what extent the Nagao retainers opposed uh, Harukage uh, because he was sickly or because he had an abrasive personality is unclear. What is clear is that by 1547 there had begun a movement to oust Harukage in favor of Kajitora and that by 1549 this in fact happened. Now we should be skeptical that this happened because uh, Kajitora, the, the future Kenshin, was already at this point a paragon of virtue, virtue or had a huge following. Uh, the Nagao retainers were likely more motivated by practical reasons. Uh, he had proven himself at least a capable commander at this point, putting down rebellions in the Ichigo area. And we also can surmise that his education in the temple instilled in him ideas and values that would have been seen as admirable uh, in this time period. Uh, but whatever the case, the mere fact that he was not in ill health, like uh, Harukage, uh, may have been enough to make him a more ideal candidate as, uh, for ruler than his brother at a time when uh, the Nagao clan had to do anything uh, to try to ensure its survival. So the second uh, sort of idea that I want to challenge is that Kenshin was unique among Sengoku Daimyo in that he still respected the Shogun's uh, authority. Uh, and much has been made about Kenshin's first trip to Kyoto in 1553 to pay respects to the shogun, uh, Ashikaga Yoshiteru. Uh, the fact that he did this in the midst of the Sengoku period has been interpreted to mean that, unlike some of the other warlords who had ceased to respect the office of the shogun, uh, the central authority of this period, Kenshin still believed in honoring the Ashikaga and traveled such a distance to play, uh, pay, respect, uh, pay his respects. Now, in truth, it seems that he had more practical political motivations. We know that he presented gifts to the head of the New Pure Land, or Jodu Shinshu sect of Buddhism, to essentially secure peaceful relations with the Iko-Iki back in Ichigo. Uh, you may remember them as the single-minded uh, religious uh, peasant rebels of the Sengoku period. Uh, and he did this so Kenshin could proceed with military campaigns against the Hojo clans in the Kanto, and the Takada in Shinano. Uh, he also received uh, an imperial blessing or sanction to fight his enemies uh, in the region uh, where he was based, which at the very least served to legitimize his military campaigns that he was about to embark upon against the Hojo and the Takada. One might argue that this imperial blessing was not really required as many warlords did not seek approval for their conquests, but it is worth keeping in mind that the Nagao clan were ostensibly deputies of the Uyasuji clan, who were the actual, at least, uh, de jure 
overlords of uh, Ichigo and the Kanto. So sometime before, Uyasuji Norimasa had fled to the Kanto, had fled from the Kanto, escaping from the Hojo and their uh, encroachments, and transferred ownership of the Kanto to Kenshin, at least officially, uh, official ownership rather than actual real ownership. So his request for an imperial sanction may have been uh, less motivated by a sense of righteousness than an attempt to legitimize uh, his claim uh, from uh, Norimasa uh, to the position once rightfully held by the Uyasuji clan. Uh, it is also worth noting that Kenshin made another trip to the capital in 1559. Uh, at the time, Ashikaga Yoshitaru had been chased out of Kyoto by the Miyoshi clan. Uh, Yoshiteru at the time asked Kenshin and Shingen to make peace, join forces, and essentially rescue and restore the Ashikaga uh, shogunate. Of course, we know this did not happen, and it is impossible to know if Kenshin's stated reason for not doing so, that his forces being tied up elsewhere, was 100% truthful. We do know, though, that he engaged in negotiations with the shogunate in order for the shogun to sanction Kenshin's conflict with the Takeda, and to officially recognize Kenshin as the official overlord of the Kanto, again purely from a de jure, uh, you know, legal as opposed to reality perspective. Now, the fact that negotiations needed to take place is quite telling. It suggests that the journey to Kyoto for Kenshin was again about political objectives rather than merely showing uh, respect uh, and the tradition uh, owed to the shogunate. So another issue I want to challenge here is that Kenshin was able to win a lot of victories in his campaigns against the Hojo. Uh, in, his, in the reality, the, the opposite is true. Although his battles with Shingen are uh, well recorded and very popular, Kenshin is, uh, was also heavily involved in campaigns against the Hojo in the Kanto. Uh, in 1561, Kenshin launched an aggressive invasion of Hojo holdings and pushed the Hojo as far as their famous stronghold of Odawara Castle. Uh, in the end, however, by 1564, the campaign had stalled, and Kenshin returned to Ichigo. Kenshin was congratulated by several of his contemporaries for his campaign against the Hojo, but in terms of actual gains, his campaign did not really accomplish that much. The Hojo held on to Odawara Castle and remained a dominant force in the Kanto. It could be argued that Kenshin's campaign weakened the Hojo and took some of the steam out of their conquest, but if uh, his aim was to take back the Kanto for the Yusuji clan, uh, of which he is, was now head, having um, you know, been adopted into the Uyasuji, his attempt was a failure. Uh, he did not reclaim the Kanto for the Uyasuji. Uh, his future conflicts with the Hojo, Kenshin engaged in a war of attrition, uh, according to Ikigami Hiroko. Uh, it could be argued, however, that among the clans in the Kanto region who opposed Hojo expansion, Kenshin fared the best. That being said, he also had geography on his side due to the mountainous terrain of Japan, uh, Kenshin was well isolated from the Hojo domain, far to the north of their primary holdings. The Nagao had also had the benefit of having expanded to the east and west of their own initial fiefdom before the conflict with the Hojo began. Given that the Hojo had entered into a triple alliance with three other main regional powers of eastern Japan, the Takeda and the Imagawa, just years prior, it was perhaps inevitable that Kenshin would have taken the lead in actively opposing the expansionism of this tremendously powerful pact. And also one of the biggest, probably the biggest one I want to challenge here is that Kenshin had some sort of epic rivalry with Takeda Shingen. Uh, ironically, Kenshin had more success against the Hojo, at least in his initial aggressive campaign, uh, than he ever had against uh, Takeda Shingen. 
Uh, contrary to popular belief, there is nothing to suggest that the various battles said to have taken place at Kawakajima were anything more than raids and skirmishes, with property being incinerated and duels being fought by samurai from the opposing armies. Indeed, even the mystique surrounding the battle that took place in 1561 seems highly dubious. It is likely that the alleged meeting of Kenshin and Shingen in single combat never, occur never occurred. Uh, that's the famous image of uh, uh, Kenshin charging on horseback and Shingen raising his war fan to block uh, a slash from uh, Kenshin's sword, and that the fighting during the battle was not particularly uh, ferocious. Neither the Yuyusuji nor the Takeda seemed all that damaged from the engagement as both clans went on to campaign in the Kanta region just a few months afterward. Uh, essentially, all of the legendary battles between Kenshin and Shingen were indecisive, uh, relatively minor affairs, far from the major confrontations uh, seen in pop culture. Uh, much like the Hojo, uh, Kenshin was forced to be a check on Takeda expansion rather than the author of Shingen's destruction. Kenshin may be uh, very well have been motivated to defeat Shingen, but in terms of actual results, he did little more than prevent Shingen's complete conquest of northern Shinano province. As to the fact that lords from Shinano besieged Kenshin to engage Shingen to save their lands, this seems to be accurate. However, we must not ignore the fact that Kenshin himself had a stake in stopping the subjugations of a rival power to his south. Indeed, after the final Kawakajima battle in 1564, Kenshin did not venture into Shinano province in any meaningful way, even after the death of Shingen in 1573. Indeed, according to a letter from Oda Nobunaga in 1568, Shingen was apparently seeking peace with Kenshin, presumably so he could secure his northern border and focus on a southern and western expansion into the lands of the Imagawa and, eventually, those of Tokugawa Ieyasu. After Shingen died, his son Katsuyori took leadership of the Takeda clan and did not end his father's unfinished conquest uh, of Shinano. Instead, he resumed the march west before being defeated at the famous Battle of Nagashino by combined Oda and Tokugawa force. In all this time, Kenshin did not initiate any righteous campaign to undo the unjust invasions or occupations by the Takeda in Shinano, apparently content that the Takeda were no longer an actual threat to his own castles and provinces. So another issue, another thing I want to challenge is the idea that Kenshin and Oda Nobunaga were these mortal enemies who hated each other. You know, one's the embodiment of virtue and the other is the embodiment of evil. Uh, Kenshin emerged as the leader of the anti-Nobunaga uh, front that uh, came about around 1573 after Ashikaga Yoshiaki fled Kyoto, driven out by Nobunaga. That was the, the last Ashikaga shogun that Nobunaga initially installed and uh, politically used, basically. Uh, as we know, Nobunaga had been Yoshiaki's, champ Yoshiaki's champion at one point, placing the latter into the position of shogun after Matsunaga, Hisahide, and the Miyoshi clan had killed Ashikaga Yoshiteru, that being Yoshiaki's brother. It should be noted that Yoshiaki initially appealed to Kenshin for assistance, but Nobunaga answered the call mainly by virtue of his geographic location. Kenshin would have had to subdue hostile clans as well as the militant fanatics of the Iko-Iki in order to reach the capital of Kyoto. By contrast, Oda Nobunaga, from his new headquarters in Mino province at the time, was in, was in an ideal location to march on Kyoto, defeat the Miyoshi, and install Yoshiaki as a puppet ruler. Another opportunity to march on the capital presented itself to Kenshin once the Nobunaga-Yoshiaki relationship fully soured. While we have already covered Kenshin's political rather than moral incentives for visiting Ashikaga Yoshitero, we have also little reason to believe that Kenshin actually cared about Nobunaga's mistreatment of Yoshiaki. 
For example, we know that Nobunaga acted as a mediator between Shingen and Kenshin in 1568, and that Nobunaga and Kenshin exchanged gifts well after it had become well known that Nobunaga and Yoshiaki had a falling out. Indeed, letters from Yoshiaki attest to this. Moreover, in 1571, just years before Nobunaga drove out Yoshiaki from Kyoto, Nobunaga wrote a letter to one of Kenshin's acquaintances indicating that he would permit Kenshin to adopt one of Nobunaga's sons. This suggests that rather than being mortal enemies, the Uyasuji and Oda were on the verge of entering into alliance with one another. Ultimately, from 1569 to 1575, between the souring of the Nobunaga-Yoshiaki relationship and the commencement of hostilities between Kenshin and the Nobunaga, we have every reason to believe that these two men were not mortal enemies, but were actually uh, even on friendly terms. And now another big idea that I want to challenge is that Kenshin was a man of exceptional religious devotion. Uh, this part of the whole Kenshin legend does have historical basis. We know that he visited myriad religious institutions during his lifetime, especially on his trip to, trips to Kyoto, and Nakazama Hajime has speculated that it was during his first trip to the capital that Kenshin gave serious thought to renouncing temporal power and becoming a Buddhist priest. It is also related in one chronicle that in 1556, Ichigo experienced the shutdown because Kenshin had made plans to retire to the temple of Chokeji, which was under the stewardship of Kenshin's teacher when he was a boy at the Rinsenji, which is the temple where he studied as a, as a young boy. Allegedly, he felt that he had done his duty securing Echigo for his clan, while also checking the Hojo and the Takeda, and that therefore his job was done, and he could therefore retire and become uh, part of the clergy. The story goes that Nagao Masakage pursued him and persuaded him to stop, warning Kenshin about the still very real dangers surrounding Ichigo. Regardless of whether this is true or not, we know that Kenshin ended up having it both ways. In 1575, he became a high-ranking priest as part of the Shingon sect of Buddhism. I personally find it interesting that Kenshin was both an ardent Buddhist as well as an alcoholic, as one of the precepts of Buddhism is to refrain from mind-altering substances, although it is not all that shocking that a professed follower of a faith is something of a hypocrite. Indeed, we know for a fact that many monks and temples engaged in rather irreligious behavior and indulged in the vices their position in society afforded them. Nevertheless, if Kenshin was so devout as to consider renunciation, uh, if the anecdote is true, presumably with the intention of seeing out his childhood career as a religious man, it seems interesting that he would think, uh, drink to such a degree as to earn a reputation as a drunkard. In light of the fact that hard drinking must have been much more difficult than association to earn in those days, that is, medieval Japan, when life was short and the life of a ruler more lax, it seems to me you would have had to be a real lush to be known as a drunkard. Um, there's also the story uh, that's well known about Kenshin being a woman. Uh, Darling, in his dissertation, does not touch this topic at all, but it does seem to stem from a novel in the 19th century that speculated Kenshin was really a woman, and that Kenshin celibacy and religious robes were used to hide this fact, and I believe this has been touched on in the podcast at some point. Now, while this is not impossible, I find it hard to believe that a warlord of such prominence would go his whole life, with no shortage of enemies, without it being learned that he was really a woman. It's sort of like the JFK conspiracy or the notion that 9-11 was an inside job. I just don't give that much credit to people that such a secret, if it was true, could remain a secret for so long. So, in sum, while I don't agree with uh, Darling's conjecture in his dissertation that Kenshin ever had any intentions of marching on the capital in order to unify the land, 
I think Darling is correct in that modern portrayals of Kenshin as a paragon of virtue or as a stalwart loyalist of the Ashikaga shogunate, uh, those are mostly bunk. We also have little reason to believe that his military track record is as awesome as is sometimes made out to be, and that his rivalry with Takeda Shingen was anything more than just uh, a literary invention. Like most other Sengoku daimyo, he was a politician and an opportunist, and that what really makes him stand out is that his faith and adoption of religious trappings was probably genuine. So that was the post that I wrote back in October of 2015. Um, we may be able to link to that somehow through the podcast, as well as to Darling's dissertation about Kenshin. Um, and I hope you enjoy both, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. So uh, this is Saru again, Scott Patrick, saying goodbye. All right, that's it for this episode. So we will see you again in a month. And as always, thanks to the patrons on Patreon for the support and for allowing me to expand the podcast beyond its quaint beginning seven years ago to the product that we have for you today. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a patron. So check out patreon.com slash samurai archives for details. You can net yourself some early access to new episodes, access to the monthly Q&A, a cool podcast coffee mug, and other stuff. So check it out and consider helping me keep this ship floating. Also... Hit up samuraipodcast.com for show notes and links. And that's it. Catch you next time.